0: Today's text is coming from the book of Luke. If you would like to head in that direction, if you brought your Bible, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. I'm going to give you a bit of a warning. There's a measure of intensity to this message today. It's close to my heart. I'm going to do my best to deliver in in the time allotted. I know some of you get very nervous if that runs over, and I'm asking for a bit of patience. And I'm particularly asking that you not leave until we're finished today unless you have something that's absolutely an emergency that you must attend to. Uh, Some of those critical points and the intense points for me are at the very end of this message, and it's extremely important to me. Our text in uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 is a very well-known story within a story. It starts off telling us about a ruler of the synagogue by the name of Jairus, who had a 12-year-old daughter who was dying and he's pleading with Jesus to come and heal her. Then right in the midst of that story, very abruptly, a completely different situation appears about a woman with an issue of blood. I know you know these stories, but it's interesting how they are uh, positioned together, the one within uh, the other. And the spotlight suddenly shifts to that story before then returning back to the story about the daughter of Jairus. So I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word. The last time I will ask you to stand today until the next time. (laughs) Let me read it to you today. I'm starting at verse 40 of Luke chapter 8. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. And here's the whiplash in this narrative. Now a woman, completely different story, having a flow of, a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well, go in peace. And then we'll return to story one suddenly, just as suddenly as we left it while he was still speaking. Someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid. What's the next two words? Say it one more time. And she will be made well. How many are thankful for the healing power in the name of Jesus? When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep, she's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, good for him. Took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, get up, arise. And then her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he commanded they get her a Big Mac. <clears throat> She'd be given something to eat. Folks, it's still true that the grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. I have a tendency to take that all kinds of places in my mind. Political parties wither. Politicians Fade but the word of our God will stand forever. That's why from this pulpit, we preach the word of our God. Thank you. You may be seated. I bet that's going to fill my inbox this week. I've given this message a title. and I actually have three titles, but I had to pick one. I'm going to call it, I Don't Want to Miss It. And you'll understand that as I'm finishing today. When you're reading scripture, particularly if it's a passage that is in story form, there is no better way to get the most out of that passage than to place yourself in the shoes of one of the characters of that story, just to imagine yourself uh, being that character, how they must have felt as circumstances arose in the story what they might have said to those who are around them but they were probably thinking as various things happened. just imagine yourself in their shoes so for the purposes of this message today i'm asking all of you to be jairus who are you whether you're male or female young or old doesn't matter i'm asking you to put yourself in the shoes of jairus if you're the father of a daughter particularly a daughter that's close to the age of 12, it will be a little easier for you. By the way, Stephen Lisa, those girls are growing up way too fast. They walked up here and I couldn't believe. Anna, you have grown so much, precious girls. Give those girls a hand, they're great gals. So who are you? Jairus, Jairus comes to Jesus because he has a problem. And he has what I'm calling the dilemma. If you're a human, you too have a dilemma, because we all do. If you're not sure what your dilemma is, let let me help you with that. It's that thing that you pray about the most. It's that thing that keeps you up at night. It's the thing that makes you walk the floors. It's that of your life, which you cannot fix in your own strength, and nor in your own effort. Now, your dilemma may not be as drastic as that of Jairus, who has a daughter who's dying, but nevertheless, a dilemma is a dilemma. Now remember, you're Gyrus today, and I need you to think about who you are. You're a synagogue ruler. You rule the synagogue. You're the top dog. You're the COO. You're the one in charge of all the operations of the synagogue. So, so you're a Pharisee, and this Pharisee, that's you, <laughs> runs and falls at the feet of Jesus And what we see is an impassioned plea that Jairus is making on behalf of his daughter. Now, we just read it a moment ago. The multitude was waiting for Jesus, but Jairus had an urgency for him. There's a difference in just waiting for Jesus and being a person with an urgency for Jesus. Now, when you read through the New Testament at the miracles that Jesus performed... Many times Jesus was simply on his way to some designated location when he's interrupted by somebody. Many of his, uh, of his miracles happen that way. And there always seems to be an urgency to these interruptions that happen where miracles take place. And I want us to see the urgency in Jairus this morning. There was something in Jairus that moved uh, beyond his religious behavior and his, even his function as a ruler of the synagogue. Something that moved beyond his religious persuasion and somehow he knew that his normal, routine religious practices as, a, practices as a Pharisee was not enough to meet the urgency of the need of his dying daughter. And it's true for us as well. When you and I are faced with a dilemma that dilemma will force us to approach Jesus in a way that we do not normally approach him. Let me just say, and I know you know that this is true, there's a dynamic difference in a prayer that says, and Lord Jesus, just uh, bless us today and, and help us to have a great day in Jesus' name. In that, or a prayer that says, God, if you don't show up, if you don't come and help me today, If you don't show yourself to be God in the midst of my circumstances, there is no hope for me and no hope for my situation whatsoever. How many know there's a difference in those two approaches to prayer? So as we move through this passage this morning, I need to ask you to identify your dilemma, whatever it is, and do you know what it is? And and are you at that place of great urgency? I need to let you know, though, that a dilemma is usually followed by the second thing that Jairus experienced, and that is this, the delay. Can you say that with me? In fact, many times what makes it a dilemma is the fact that there is a delay. It's the delay that often makes the dilemma so very, very difficult. Now, it's important that we notice where the dilemma takes place in this story. Follow me here. We know that Jairus comes to Jesus. We know that he falls down at the feet of Jesus. He passionately pleads with Jesus to come to his home to heal his daughter, and then the Bible tells us that Jesus went with him. So where is this dilemma taking place? They're on their way to the home of Jairus. And I'm sure that in the mind of Jairus, or let me say in your mind, since you're Jairus today, you're thinking, well, I've called 911, the ambulance is on its way, I've I've gotten the best help that there is, and help is about to arrive at my house. That's what he's got to be feeling this moment when he's captured the attention of Jesus and he has him accompanying him to his home. But then on the way, we read it, this happened. It says, but as he went, just when you thought things were happening as you had hoped, the multitudes thronged Jesus. I'm not gonna deep dive into that word throng, though I did in my personal studies, and it basically means almost choked him out put so much pressure on, almost suffocating him with so much pressure on him. The multitudes thronged Jesus. And then we come to this odd place of verse 43. It's almost as if the author, Luke, forgot about the story of Jairus uh, that he was giving us and he just took off on an entirely different scenario and he says, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border, or we would say the hem of his garment. Can't you, as Jairus, can't we almost hear him saying today, uh, excuse me, hey, wait, wait, what, what happened here? Hold on, what's going on? This is my story and I thought we were here headed to, to my house. This situation is supposed to be about about me, about my miracle. So what about me? I bet there's many in this room, including this person that's talking right now, that has said, what about me? And what we see is this. All of a sudden, the deliverance Jairus was requesting for his daughter became delayed. And isn't delay tough to deal with? I'm terrible at it. I'm not good with delay at all. But that's exactly what's happened. But let's remember that Jairus is with Jesus. So if the crowd pressing around Jesus is, is pressing around Jesus, then the crowd is pressing around Jairus as well. And that means Jairus is getting shoved to the side and is witnessing the miracle that he thought his daughter is supposed to be receiving. It's almost as if his miracle got choked out while he had to watch another person's miracle get lived out. Maybe you found yourself in exactly that same situation. Possibly you're a young married couple here who wanted to have children. And you've done all the right stuff for that to happen, but it's not happening for you. You've spent lots of money. You've been to lots of specialists. You've waited for a long time, but so far it just does not seem to be working for you no matter how hard you prayed or how hard you have sought the Lord. Meanwhile, you're watching other couples, maybe who aren't even necessarily living for the Lord, but they're popping out kids left and right. And you're left to say, what about us? What about our miracle?" And this scenario could be applied to any miracle that you're trying to receive from the Lord. You, uh, you've prayed for that promotion. Then, then you, you watch your deadbeat coworker get the raise or the promotion that you were sure was coming to you. Or it's a situation you're in need of healing in your body and you've been praying and praying and nothing seems to be happening for you and here comes yet another testimony in church of God bringing dynamic healing to someone else, possibly even with the same thing you're suffering with, and it happened for them the first time they were prayed for. What about me? What about my need? What about my desperation? But I gotta ask you this, this morning, Bethesda, and I hope you're listening closely. What if the delay is deliberate? What if, The delay is deliberate. And then I must tell you, you're not the first to experience a deliberate delay. Because here's the truth about it. Jesus seems to have a habit of doing this, and that is intentionally making us wait. Intentionally showing us that it is just as much about the journey as it is about the destination. I knew you would love that this morning. It's just as much about the journey as it is about the destination. That there is something in this journey that he wants to teach you, wants to teach me, so that in the next journey, we don't have to learn the same thing all over again. God has a tendency to delay on purpose. If you don't believe me, just ask Mary and Martha, the story in John chapter 11 about their brother Lazarus. They certainly experienced a delay in in his healing. Why? Because Jesus needed to teach Mary and Martha something. He wanted to show them that I'm not here to meet your expectations. I'm here to exceed your expectations. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think that may be a word for somebody here this morning. He doesn't want to just meet your expectations. He wants to exceed your expectations. But it requires a delay. Girls, you just wanted me to heal your brother Lazarus. But I have come to bring resurrection life. And to show you that which you've never seen or experienced before. Now since we're dealing with a story within a story. We already know that these two stories appear to be randomly different. We already know that the author, Luke, almost appears to have ADD, the way he jumps back and forth for no reason. And he just dropped the story about Jairus' daughter and jumped to the story about the woman with the issue of blood before jumping back to the story about Jairus' daughter again. And that's the way it appears to us as we read it in Luke chapter 8 but I'm gonna to suggest to you another idea. And the idea is that these two stories may be more intertwined than that which meets the eye with a casual read. Now follow me in this. The woman had an issue of blood for how long? I'm sorry? 12 years. Okay, 12 years. The daughter of J- Jairus who was dying was how old? 12 years. It was 12 years old. The woman with the issue of blood When her issue began was just about the time when this little girl was born. And the day of resolve for the woman with the issue of blood was the day when Jairus' daughter was dying and her dad approached Jesus asking for healing. There just has to be something that God is trying to show us this morning in this. it has got to be something there. Those of you who've done any study in biblical numerology will know that the number 12 symbolizes divine rule, the sovereignty of God. Say divine rule. rule. There were 12 disciples, there were 12 sons of Jacob, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. So, what I'm saying is in the Bible, listen to me. In the Bible, the number 12 is the number that is screaming out to us, God knows what he's doing. Say that with me a little louder. And so locked in these two seemingly random stories of confusion and delay and struggle in both of them is this idea that sometimes the delay is by design. Now watch this. The woman touches the hem of his garment and Jesus stops. Because many times Jesus would heal and then he would teach. He would show and then he would explain. And he does this to this woman. But I want to propose that he wasn't just talking to the woman. Don't forget that Jairus is right next to him saying, what about me? What about my miracle? What about my disappointment? What about my struggle? What about my daughter? So on this interior story, it's what I'm calling, of the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. And you can judge for yourself if I'm taking this too far, but here's what I think. I believe Jesus was talking to the woman, but then glancing over at Jairus every now and then. That's what I think. Hey, Jairus, it's about the journey, my brother, not just the destination. It's about the journey and what I want to teach you along the way. To the woman, he says, Your faith, your faith has made you well has made your daughter well. Why do I believe that? Because of the very next verse. Because while Jesus is still teaching the woman, Jairus gets a text message. (laughs) No, he doesn't. But someone, a messenger, showed up. And here's the message from verse 49 to him. Jairus, your daughter is dead. It's too late. Give up. Don't even bother the teacher, the master, anymore. So here's what's happened to you, Jairus. Talking to all of you who are Jairus here today. Your life went immediately from a dilemma to a delay to despair. So let's talk about the despair. Now the way we prefer to hear this preached looks more like this. There was a dilemma, there was a problem, and then there was a delay, you had to wait, but then God came rushing in at just the right time, and brought the deliverance, and once again, we have a happy ending to the story. We like it that way. But for Jairus' life, it seemed to go one step further. It went into utter hopelessness. For him, it went all the way into this moment of complete despair. Now, the interconnectivity of these two stories, the daughter of Jairus, the woman with the issue of blood, is fascinating to me. Both situations brought great despair, which means literally all hope is gone. There's not even a shred of hope left. And so, let me ask you, Jairus, this Jairus, what is it for you that has brought great despair? What is it that is weighing so heavily on your heart? What is oppressing you to the point of great despair? Is it a dream that has died? Is it a physical situation? Is it an emotional situation? Is it a relationship that has ended? Is it a career that has plummeted and you find yourself starting over? Let me present a word to you. You'll you'll recognize the concept. The word may be new, may or may not. The word is theodicy. Can you say that with me? Theodicy is the way you reconcile how a good God can allow evil to be present in his creation. Theodicy is the way you reconcile how a good God can allow evil to be present in his creation. It's the age-old philosophical issue that so many people deal with why do bad things happen to good people why does a child have to suffer or why does a child have to die if god is good and the inner angst involves these assumptions first of all that god is all good and all powerful and therefore all-knowing but also the other assumption is that the universe, the creation was made by God and exists in a contingent relationship to God. Those two things, God is all good, he's all powerful, he's therefore all knowing, and that he, he, he uh, created the universe, the creation was made by God and exists in a contingent relationship to God. How can those, those assumptions in there be there? But a misunderstanding of those assumptions can lead us to, an, to assume that nothing bad should ever happen. When you... Inappropriate, inappropriately start putting those two assumptions together, you will come to a logical conclusion that nothing bad should ever happen. And at the core, I hope you're listening, at the core of all of this is the need to come to terms with what is referred to as the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. You cannot leave that out of the equation. Evil is not something that God is the author of. Can we agree on that? Yet because we live in a fallen world and because our forefather Adam made a decision that we have inherited the guilt of and the proclivities toward, stuff happens. Some of it's bad stuff. Some of it is horrific stuff. Some of it is so awful that it's unspeakable. and This opens the door, Bethesda, to a much broader conversation about the sovereignty of God and the need of every believer to come to a deep understanding that God is God and his ruling power as the sovereign is above all. Whether you understand it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, And so here we find Jairus in despair for obvious reasons. Speaking of despair, I just can't leave the Apostle Paul out of this. The Apostle Paul knew something about despair. He speaks of it in 2 Corinthians chapter one, where he said this, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. We were burdened above strength so that we despaired even of life yes we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in god a sovereign god who raises the dead now i, I chose that i chose the in uh, the new king james version particularly because of the use of the word despair that we despaired and then I went, as I often do, or almost always do. I went and checked it in uh, the the New Living, another several other translations, and I looked at the New Living, and the way it said it was this: I don't have it in my notes. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And you know what? We thought we would never live through it. That's what we thought. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who, by the way, raises the dead. Listen to me, listen. Despair is certainly part of the human condition and it will come to all of us. But I'm here to help you see and discover the hope and encouragement that is found in our text today. I know this is, if you think this is tough to listen to, you ought to be in my shoes today trying to preach it. It's not easy. There's hope in our text, incredible hope. In fact, it's five words that are given to us directly after Jairus receives the bad news that his daughter is dead. But the next verse, the next few words, right after he receives that word, your daughter is dead, What the next verse does not say is so Jairus went back home and lived out his life in despair. Some people have reached the conclusion it's the bane of my existence. I will go home and live out my life in despair. No, the next five words are found in verse 50 of chapter eight of Luke and it says this, but when Jesus heard it, when he heard the news of the death of the little girl. But when Jesus heard it, say that with me. But Jesus. Now, Jairus, think of your dilemma. Think of your delay. Think of your despair. And now say it again. But when Jesus Jairus is in utter despair. But Jesus makes it clear. Oh, I, I heard what's going on, Jairus. I love the verse in Psalm 34. I have, it's become a favorite of mine just in the, even in the last few months. I've quoted so often in recent days. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This pastor's heart that's beating in my chest this morning wants you to know that we pray for you as a pastoral team. We know when you're brokenhearted, when you let us know. We know that some of those of you who've lost loved ones, we remind you again today, the Lord is close to you. He's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He hears your pain. He hears your distress. To those who are here today and those who are watching online, if you are hopeless, if you have reached the end of your rope, if you are wrestling with suicidal thoughts, many people are, you do not have to walk on in despair. You don't have to do it. The word of the Lord today, that I have been instructed to communicate to you by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I am so confident and so convicted of it today, is that Jesus hears your cry. He is mindful of your situation, and he's closer to you than you even know or recognize. And the word to you today is the same as the Lord Jesus gave to Jairus on that day when he received the news that his daughter has died, and it comes from verse 50 of chapter 8. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him. He answered Jairus, and he gave Jairus instructions, saying, do not be afraid. What's the last two words? Only So the fourth thing I want to bring to you before before you this morning is that we are called to, and I know it doesn't line up with the alliteration and I reached the point, I don't care. (laughs) I want to talk to you about the only. The only thing. The only thing. Listen to me. The only thing is belief. It's not your feelings, it's not your memories, it's not your preferences or your opinions. And those of you who have an inclination toward being cynical, this will make no sense to you at all. And I'm sorry about that, in fact it will sound crazy to you. The only thing we have is belief. Let me talk a little further about Jairus, remember that you. So since you're a gyr- gyrus, we know two things about you. One, you're a synagogue ruler. Synagogue, synagogue rulers, they're the boss. You know what bosses do? They control stuff. Now there's a certain irony in the mix of these two stories. Follow me here. Because according to Levitical law, the woman with the issue of blood, when being healed, would have, to, uh, would have had to go to the priest to present herself for the priest to declare her to be clean. So when she is healed by Jesus, the first place she's probably gonna go to is the synagogue, to be declared clean. And guess who's theoretically gonna have to be the one who declares her to be clean? Jairus would have been the one in control of deciding whether or not she was to be declared clean. And what's he gonna say? The Second thing we know about Jairus, we know about you, he was a father. We know that his only daughter, this was his only daughter, And that she was 12 years old. According to Jewish custom, when you're a boy at age 13, you have a bar mitzvah. Which means you are coming into adulthood and going from being a boy to being a man. Now for a girl, it's called a bat mitzvah. And it happens at the age of, guess what? 12. So at the same time that Jairus is learning this lesson that he's not in control He has this daughter who is 12, and she's not a girl anymore. She's becoming a woman, and he is to release her. She's not yours, Jairus. She now belongs to the Lord. So many times when you're in a season facing a dilemma that is delayed, and it has brought you to the point of despair, the reason you're in despair is simply because it's not going the way you want it to go. Do you still love me? Doesn't feel like it up here. It's not going your way. You have made a plan and design of how you wanted it to go. And so that's what has brought the despair. But it's reminding us we are not in control. Let me tell you again, the number 12 in biblical numerology does mean divine rule. Say that, divine Not Jairus rule, not Dan rule, not your rule. It's God's design and God's timing. And one of the hardest lessons for us to truly learn as believers is this. You're not going to like this. You can have control or you can have faith, but you can't have both. Des used to do that all the time. Pull his coat over his head. You can have control or you can have faith, but you can't have both. I knew I didn't like that preacher. (laughs) I think Jesus was making it clear to Jairus that on this day, buddy, you're not in control. And Jairus, I'm wanting you to see that the way I want to do it is actually better than the way you want to do it. Only believe was his instructions. Only believe. The word believe in the Greek is pistuo, which means... To think to be true, believe. To be persuaded of, and I love this one, believe. To credit, to place confidence in. The the definition about credit is of particular interest to me. Only believe, only believe. When you use your credit card, when you swipe it or tap it or whatever you do, you're essentially saying, I'll pay for this later. That's just how faith works. You're not saying that it's happening right now or that you see it right now. But you are believing by credit that it will happen or come to pass, even though it has not yet done so. Faith means you don't see it. You don't see it today. It's not evident to you today. What does Hebrews say? Faith is the substance of the evidence of. So by credit, you're going to only believe because you don't see it. The Lord is saying, I just need you to do one thing. One, only believe. Just like the coach goes to the kicker and says, dude, I need you to do one thing. Put this ball between those two goalposts right there. That's all you have to do. And I'm gonna tell you this, folks. It's easier to preach about than to do. Because in just a few minutes, I'm gonna step off this platform and I'm gonna join you in the daily struggle of belief, just like you. Because for me, for Dan, it's a daily reminding myself, only believe, only believe. For Dan, it's a daily overcoming my doubts. For Dan, it's a daily returning to the place of trust. Every day, every day, who's with me? And saying, God, everything around me tells me that the opposite is true. Everything I see is telling me that the opposite is true. But I still believe that you are more than enough. And I choose to believe that you are more than able. I'm trying to wrap this up. I'm watching you twitch out there. Look with me at how serious Jesus is. The problem I have right now is these next five, six minutes are the most important thing I have to communicate to you. How serious Jesus is about this idea of only believe. Verse 51, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the father and mother of the girl. Jesus had to be thinking, surely my guys will believe. Peter, James, and John, those are my guys. Surely they're gonna believe. I mean, they've seen me walk on water. They've seen me open the eyes of the blind. They've seen me heal the lame and the crippled. They've seen me forgive sin. Surely my guys will believe. And of course, the mom and dad will believe. But he gets in there. Church, here's what I'm telling you is important. It is important who you let in. It is extremely important who you let in, particularly into your dilemma. Who you let in. Jesus was being very careful about who he let into the house. Who are you listening to about your dilemma? Who are you letting in? Who are you getting input from? Who are you believing? And then in the very next verse, Jesus says, don't weep. She's not dead. She's just asleep, which ought to say to us, what we call dead, Jesus calls dormant. Don't call it dead too soon. That grass is brown, but guess what? When the heat comes to it, that Bermuda grass for sure, when the heat gets to it, it's gonna green up if you water it enough. What we call dead, Jesus calls dormant. And God is saying, I don't need you to comprehend it. I need you to take your hands off of it and just believe that I'm fully capable of doing it. And then verse 53 and 54, and they ridiculed him, even his guys. That's all that was in there. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead, but he put them all outside. What do you need to put outside? In your dilemma, what do you need to go? You know what, (laughs) Uh uh-uh, you ain't staying in here. You get outside. What do you need to put outside? Jesus puts them all out and proceeds to perform this miracle. Now. Take yourself out of the shoes of Jairus and put yourself in the shoes of Peter, James, and John, or pick one, and think for just a moment. Here they are outside the room, but they can hear what's going on, listening to a miracle that they could have been a part of. I could have been in there and witnessed that little girl, life coming back into that little girl. I hadn't been such an idiot. I could have been in there and witnessed blood starting to pump back through her body and the color come back into her face. I could have seen the tears flow down her face as she threw her arms around Jesus. Instead, I'm out here with these fools. Here's my resolve in that situation. Listen, 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 listen. I don't want to miss it. why this sermon is titled that. I don't want to miss it. If all I need to do in order to stay in the room and witness the power of God is to believe, then guess what I'm going to believe? With every fiber of my being I'm gonna believe because I don't want to miss it. I've lived too long, I've given too much of myself to the church and the work of the kingdom to come to this point of my life and miss it. I'm not going to miss it. What are you talking about? Whatever God has for the church, I'm not gonna miss it. Whatever it's going to look like, whatever form the next move of God might take, however revival and renewal comes to this nation and and to the church of the Lord Jesus, it's all fine with me, I'm just telling you, I don't wanna miss it. Who's with me today on that? I'm almost done, I'm almost done. What if Peter or James or John had refused to leave the room? What if they said, I ain't walking out, I ain't going, you can't throw me out. What if they had stayed in the house with their lack of faith and their ridiculing and their cynical spirit? What if they just said, I ain't leaving, I'm staying? Would Jesus still have performed the miracle on that little girl? Oh, well, surely, Jesus, surely, could he have? My friend, I take you to another gospel, the gospel of Mark chapter six, verse five. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. It doesn't say he wouldn't, It says he couldn't. Is it possible, God, that the issues of my life are because I have had such an incredible lackluster of faith and he couldn't? That maybe the only thing holding me back is me? It's my fault. I can't blame Becky. Becky? Can't blame my kids, it's not the church's fault, can't blame God, can't blame the pastor as much as everybody wants to. It's because of my unbelief, it's because of my heart. Faith is the very core of our Christianity. Therefore, can I move past my feelings, my opinions, my past experiences, that I want to project onto today my proclivities and come to the point of true faith and only believe? And more pointedly, am I ready today to renew my confidence in his word when it says that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, that I can ask or think according to the power that is at work within me? the apostle says therefore to him be glory in the church by christ jesus to all generations forever and ever amen stand with me please those of you who are going to i am going to open the altars i need the prayer partners that have been designated to come quickly and immediately what is the resolve to your dilemma to your delay and to your despair It is to only believe. Can you say that with me?